Paul says this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve as others who have no hope. Now, uh, a physical grief is a normal thing. When you lose somebody on this earth, you're going to feel grief. But Paul says what you're feeling is above normal grief because you're not even sure about eternity. Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week, we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. We hope you find this message encouraging. A couple of weeks ago, I really, really, really messed up, okay? In that, I said I was going to be preaching and talking about the second coming. And I messed up because the more I studied, the bigger it gets. And I, I said I'd take two weeks, and now I'm thinking about three. <laughs> or more. I'm going to really, really, really try to keep focused. Uh, I'm going to try not to get down any rabbit trails, but I'm going to follow the leading of the Lord. Here's the deal. One of the things that we don't talk about often enough, and we talk about it more than a lot of churches do, we don't talk about the second coming enough. Now, we celebrate it in different ways. The Lord told us in first, through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, as often as you drink this cup and eat this bread... You do celebrate, proclaim, talk about, announce the Lord's coming, the Lord's death until he comes again. So that's one of the things that tells us that we should be celebrating that continually. We're going to read quite a few scriptures, so don't, don't get wore out with me on scriptures. I, I pared it down to the bare minimum to make the points that I need to make. Here's the deal. We all have questions about the second coming. If... After listening intently, please, please, please don't get ahead of me because I might answer your question. But if today it leaves you with a question, maybe you don't have a single question right now and maybe I introduce a question to you. I want you to text me. You've all got my phone number. If you don't, it's in the bulletin. You can text me. You can email me. That's in the bulletin as well, revread at yahoo.com. So that's pretty easy to remember. Or write it down on a piece of paper and give it to me. And next week or into the third week, I'll address those questions. Or I'll work it into next week, okay? Because I, I want us to, the, the thing that really, really, really was impressed upon me, and like, like I told you earlier, I was, um, my mom had surgery kind of unexpectedly. It was expected, but not when she had it. So two weeks ago, I made a mad dash up to Kentucky and spent a couple of days up there with, with her while she was in the hospital. And um, she had back surgery. And so while I was on the road, I had a lot of stick time there. And I was just thinking, as I said, about calendars and all the stuff that Zach and Jonathan and I have planned for this year. How are we going to work this in? Where do we need to do this? Thinking about the big holidays um, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, just there for a moment, I got quiet. And it was like the Lord said to me, well, why don't you think about what the next big thing on my calendar is? And the next big thing on God's calendar is the second coming. Amen? If we look at history, look at what the Bible says, put it all together, we're getting awfully close. Okay? We are a little over 2,000 years past his birth. And during that time, that's one of the, that's one of the things, and we're going to get into all this. There are people in this day and time that say, well, because it's been so long and because everything's just like it always has been, you're silly for believing that. 
But Peter answers that question. And we're going to look at all these scriptures pertaining to it. I hope I can work it in and get everything that I want to say. Again, the more I studied, the more little minutiae and details that opened up, and it just kept getting deeper and wider. But basically, the next big event on God's calendar, after this church age that we are presently in, and he's just, grace is flowing freely, and everybody that can, that will, can come. There's coming a day and a time, and it's an instantaneous thing. It will be, as Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye. That's even faster than a blink. Some people, some translations call it a blink of an eye, but it's actually how long it takes light to reflect off of your pupil. So faster than you can say there, <laughs> it's done, it's going to happen. It is basically a signless, instantaneous thing that's going to happen. And the Lord is going to come back and he is going to catch up or gather or pull out or rapture. That's a word we all like to use, but that's not a word that's in the Bible. So uh, he is going to rapture his church out of here. He's going to catch it away. And that begins a period of time called the tribulation. That is a period of time for seven years. It's split into two halves, really. For the first half, it's going to be kind of bad. It's going to actually begin rather nicely. But it's going to turn bad very quickly whenever a person called the Antichrist comes into power. And the second half of that seven years, the second three and a half years, is referred to as the Great Tribulation. I believe that the Bible teaches us that we will be gone during that seven years. We're going to look at the reasons why. I can, as I've said many, many times when we've talked about this, when we studied through the book of Revelation a few years back, um, I can actually see why people believe mid-trib. But I think the preponderance of the evidence is that it is a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. A post-tribulation rapture of the church makes no sense because it proves no point. Amen? If we, as God's people, God's chosen, God's people covered with grace, have to endure the entire tribulation, what's, what's the point? <laughs> I believe, again, the preponderance of the evidence is a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. So, I'm going to go through all these things, and we're going to look at, again, if you have questions, just uh, make note of them, type them out on your phone, text them to me or whatever, preferably not during the message. But <laughs> if, if, I, if I get buzzed, that's the way it is. So here's the thing. Next. What is the next big thing on God's calendar? I'm going to give you the 411 before it's time to call 911. Okay, the subtitle for this message. <laughs> the 411 before it's called, time to call 911. As I looked at all the scriptures involved, I just want to tell you the, the width and the depth of how often it's talked about in the Word. We tend to just skim over stuff and we don't pick up on it, but it is all the way through the Old Testament. It begins in Genesis, it goes all the way up through the prophets. All, there, every book mentions something about Christ, him coming, and his, his return. Uh, in the New Testament, there's 27 books in the New Testament. Of those 27 books, there's only four that do not mention the second coming. Okay, that's Galatians, 2nd and 3rd John, and the book of Philemon that do not mention 
that. So out of those 27 books, only four of them don't make mention of it. And of those authors involved, this Paul and John, and they are in the other letters and other gospels and other things that they wrote, some of the most prolific writers about the second coming that there is. There are almost 320 references in the New Testament alone to the second coming. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a bunch. Okay, almost 320, it's like 318 times it's mentioned. So, without further ado, and I, again, I don't want to belabor this, and I'm going to occasionally look at my wife, and she's going to go like that when it's time to land the plane. But it's going to take at least a couple of weeks, maybe even into the third week to talk about this. Uh, again, I was hoping to do it in two, but I just don't believe we can. One of the first mentions in the, uh, the strong mention of the second coming is in John chapter 14. And this is Jesus himself. And he talks about it from the standpoint of he, he was trying to comfort his disciples. He was going to go to the cross. This is before he was crucified. And he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There are more than enough, there is more than enough room in my father's house or home. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come again. Uh, I've got it memorized in, in another version. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with, with me where I am. And you know the way where I'm going. Okay? That's whenever Thomas says, Lord, we're not 100% sure where you're going or how to get there. And he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. So he says, I'm going to get everything ready. He is working on it right now. His promise is, I'm going to come back when everything's ready and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And we will always, forever, be with him. That, thank you, Lisa. <laughs> it's a good thing. Okay, in Acts chapter uh, 1, I tell you what, jump, jump to Matthew. I kind of changed the order that I gave him to, to Zach. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and they said, tell us what it's going to be like. Tell us when you're coming back. Tell us when you're going to relieve us from this Roman oppression that we are under. Uh, everybody that was contemporary with Jesus was looking at it as though it was going to happen almost immediately. Uh, they were looking at it also from the standpoint that it would be a release from their Roman oppression. Okay, this is the day and the time when the Roman Empire stretched all the way from Asia all the way to the, to the British Isles. And they were a very oppressive regime. Okay, taxed them a lot. They had to pay for all those roads and all those things that were happening. So... It says this in, in Matthew 24. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings, but he responded, do you see all these buildings? I'll tell you the truth. They'll be completely demolished. Not one stone left upon another. That was a prophecy that was fulfilled in 70, 70 AD, just about 40-something years later from the time that they were standing there looking at all this marvelous stuff. And so... Um, it says, later, Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when all this will happen. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? 
And Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah. How many false messiahs have we had through the years? And they'll deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. So he's describing, at least in part, some of the things that are going on in this present day. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes. The, the rise of the amount of earthquakes that have happened in the last few years is astounding. That's another study you can do on your own time. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then, it's talking about after the, after the fact, then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. This is talking about during the tribulation. And you'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And you realize what's going on in this day and time, how the tide is turning against Christianity. This nation that once welcomed and embraced Christianity with open arms has turned. And it's just only going to get worse. It's just one of those things that will happen. So we, we have to be prepared for it. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And sin will be rampant everywhere. Hmm, wonder what he's talking about there. <laughs> Since we live in this day and time. And the love of many will grow cold. That's what we've got to war- guard ourselves about. But the one who endures uh, to the end will be saved. And this good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. That's a key phrase right there. This gospel will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. I believe that there's a moment in time, fast forward a little bit, could be a little while, could be a a, a little longer while, But I believe there's a moment in time when everybody that's alive on the face of this earth at one present moment has had the opportunity to receive or reject the gospel. And I think that moment is key in the fact that that will be the catalyst for when he starts to come back. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, and that is the sacrilegious object, or if you've got a different translation, it says the abomination of desolation. And that abomination of desolation is something that will happen. I don't know what it is. It may be a statue. It may be a, a symbol. It may be something on the, on the lines of, of, uh, uh, of some image that represents something so deplorable to God. And what's going to happen is, according to Daniel, all the way, as I said, all the way back through the Old Testament, the end of the New, it talks about this. They're going to set it up in the place where temple worship will have been restored. Okay, if you're keeping up with things, you realize there is not a temple in Jerusalem at this particular moment. And whenever it is built, and it won't take very long to build it, temple worship resumes. They will begin to sacrifice again, making all those things that we read about in the Old Testament, all those, the lambs for this and the doves for that and all this kind of thing. Temple worship for the Jews will resume. And it will be during a time of peace for them. So whether that happens before the rapture of the church or whether it happens slightly and shortly thereafter, we do not know. But it's going to have to resume, and it's at least for a period of time, a short period of time, a peace for Israel. 
Now, sometimes we think about the temple in Israel and we are like, oh, it'd take forever to build that. But if you look at the actual dimensions of the temple, it's very, very small. Okay? And we won't get into all that because that takes us down another road and I'm trying to avoid all these little roads. But you can look it up for yourself if you're curious. But it is small in dimension. They could build it if it was a concerted effort in probably a matter of weeks. Now, it may not be to the glory of Solomon's temple, but it is small. And it could be put together rather easily. So, that's, that's one thing that he says that we've got to look at or about. Is one, if it happens before the rapture of the church, then it's going to be a big sign to us. That sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Okay, this is a parenthetical statement that's in every translation. In other words, wake up! When you see this happen, you better buckle your seatbelt. Get out that phone because the 411 is over and it's time to call 911. And, and we are going it, to, it's there. And then, those in Judea, now this is, I, this is talking about the Jews. And realize that from Revelation chapter 3 all the way to Revelation chapter, the end of Revelation chapter 20, the church is not mentioned. Why? Because I believe we are out of here. Amen? So, here he refers to the Israelites, the Jews, and it says those in Judea must flee to the hills. And, and what, what's happening here is whenever temple worship is restored, all, uh, all the active and participating Jews, those that love God and are wanting to worship him, end up migrating to Israel. So there is a concentration of the Jewish people in Israel. So, basically what happens is the devil's going to try one more time to destroy them. He tried with Hitler. He tried throughout all the ages with Babylon and Assyria and all these things to wipe out the Jewish race. All the way back to Pharaoh. It has never worked and it will never work. Okay? He's going to try one last time to destroy them. And it says those in Judea must flee to the hills. And a person out on the deck of the roof, must not go down into the house to pack. And a person out in the field must never return, even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. And I pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Now, this is Jesus talking. So why would he say, well, I hope it's not in winter and I hope it's not on the Sabbath? It's because he doesn't even know the time and the day and the hour. We'll get to that in just a second. Okay, and for there will be great anguish, uh, greater anguish than any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, in other words, that seven years, and especially the last half of that seven years, the three and a half years of great tribulation, not a single person will survive. That means that it had to be in such a day and a time as this. Do you realize 1948 was when Israel became a nation again? It couldn't happen before then. Do you realize that we, as humankind, had to have the opportunity to annihilate ourselves? In other words, if he hadn't shortened that time to seven years, there would be such great war and calamity that the human race would be wiped out. No one would survive. And temple worship has to be restored. Do you realize how close to midnight we are? Amen? So, here we go. And where did it get to? Uh, 
Oh, I'm at the beginning <laughs> of, of that page. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then, if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, when David Koresh out west said, I'm the Messiah, how did you know it wasn't him? Because he said he wouldn't be him. Amen? He's telling us ahead of time. There will not be another coming of the Lord on this earth until we are raptured out of here. We'll get into that in just a minute. So if anybody says, here's the Messiah, look over here, here he is, or, uh, don't believe it. False messiahs and prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. In other words, there's going to be people that are coming and they're doing miracles and signs and wonders. And he says, do not believe that it's me. Because they're going to be doing some awesome things, but I'm telling you ahead of time. So see, I've warned you about this ahead of time. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look. Or look, he's hiding here. Don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. In other words, that quick. And just as the gathering of the vulture shows that there is a carcass nearby, so these signs will indicate that the end is near. In other words, sometimes people get really hung up on that. Basically, he's saying if you see a bunch of buzzards in a tree, you know there's something dead nearby. You ever seen that? That's what he's telling us. He says, he goes on in this chapter, and I, didn't, I, just, I had to cut it off somewhere. I didn't want to read the whole chapter. But he tells us, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be coming in the Son of Man. And that is that they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Uh, I used to think there was some sinful connotation to what they were doing. No, they were just living life. And he says, as it was in those days, people are just living life and they're not paying attention and they're not looking for his coming. So that's whenever it's going to happen. He goes on and tells us, says, whenever you see the fig tree blooming, that... Uh, you know that summer's near, and that's telling us the signs of the time. So, that's Matthew 24. Uh, so, as the, his disciples, again, were asking him, when is all this going to happen, and how is it going to take place? The, some of the same questions that we have sometimes. So, Jesus is crucified, he is resurrected, and he spends 40 days with his disciples. And so, he's about to go to heaven, and they're still asking him, what, how is this going to happen? In Acts chapter 1, it says, So when, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, is the time come for you to, uh, to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Again, they're looking at a temporal return to free them from Roman oppression. And it said, Lord, has the time come for you to to free us up and get us out from under this oppressive Roman rule. And he replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you'll be my witnesses telling about me everywhere. And he goes on. And uh, let's see, where are we at? We switched pages on me and uh, said, I want you to be witness everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the, uh, uh, the ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up into a cloud. And while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. You know, that's how we'd be too. I mean, he was just here. 
And now we don't see him anymore. Where, where's he gone? And it says, uh, he was taken up into that cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood by them and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here with your mouth open looking up in the sky? That's Philip's translation. <laughs> and Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. That's why we know that when somebody says the, the Messiah is out here in the desert or he's hiding over here, how do we know that that's not him? Because he didn't come in the clouds. The second coming is going to happen in two phases. The first is he's going to return in the clouds and catch away the church. And then he is going to take us to heaven with him. We'll be there for seven years as far as earthly time is concerned. And at the end of that seven years, he will return to wreak judgment on the ungodly, those who would not receive him. They have plenty of chances during that seven years of tribulation to receive him. And it tells us, as we were studying through it, it was eye-opening to me. It says, and even when they knew where it was coming from, all the plagues, all the seven seals and the seven bowls and all the judgments that are happening, it says they knew that it was coming from God, and yet they would not repent. Wow. Given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and they hated God so much they wouldn't take advantage of grace. So, one more scripture, and then we'll get into it as far as look, picking it apart. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, Paul is writing to a church here who had lots of questions. And because they were being so persecuted during that time, they said, this has to be the great tribulation. This has to be the thing that we heard about, this time of tribulation that is unparalleled, and they were being persecuted in so many different ways. And they said, now we've got people who have died, and they thought probably because of some sin, who are not going to be able to see the rapture take place. So how is this going to happen? Are they going to be in heaven as disembodied spirits forever? Uh, how, how are all these things going to happen? Because they really thought they would be alive until the time that the Lord returned. So, Paul says this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve as others who have no hope. Now, uh, uh, physical grief is a normal thing. When you lose somebody on this earth, you're going to feel grief. But Paul says what you're feeling is above normal grief because you're not even sure about eternity. And at the end of this, you'll see he says, wherefore comfort one another with these words that he's about to speak. And he said, so I, want you to, I, I don't want you to grieve as others who have no hope. In other words, those who don't know the Lord. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. In other words, it, it wasn't something I read somewhere. It wasn't something I dreamed up. It was something that I received directly as a revelation from the Lord. We who are alive and still remain, uh, uh, still living, this again, whenever your brain's got it memorized in a different translation. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. 
They've got six foot further to go, so they start ahead of us. Amen? Okay? So for a moment, and, and I have people say, how's that all going to work? I don't know. And frankly, I don't care. <laughs> all I know is that when that bus comes by, I want to get on it. Amen? So here's the deal. For a moment, that, that spirit that is in heaven, because Paul says to be absent from this body, this is just a space suit, again, that our soul lives in until it's time for us to go be with the Lord. Now, when, when we leave this body, there are those who have been dead for a long time, long since gone. You could dig up the place where they were buried, and, and there wouldn't be anything there anymore. Okay, so it has nothing to do with the physical body. But there is a moment in the twinkling of an eye, Paul says, that these corruptible bodies will be made incorruptible. In the twinkling of an eye, in other words, that quick, it's going to happen. And they will receive their glorified bodies, so they will raise from the dead wherever they are. I've, I've, I've had people, this is just a side note, and boy, this is, mark it down, first, first rabbit trail. I've had people have a real problem with whenever it's time for them to go be with the Lord that, that uh, their loved one was cremated. How can that happen? How, how are they going to get their, how's their body going to join? Well, what about somebody that died in a house fire? Is that a problem for the Lord? What about somebody that died at sea? Okay, it's not a problem that the Lord can't figure out. Again, how, do I know how it's going to work? No, do I care? No. I just know I want to go up. And I know what he tells us, that because they have six feet further to go, they're going to start ahead of us. So, it says that he's going to bring those with him who have died. For the Lord himself, not an angel. He's not sending somebody in his place. It is going to be the Lord himself will come from heaven with a command and shout. Just like he said Whenever Lazarus died and his two sisters were grieving and Jesus went to that tomb, do you realize if he hadn't said, Lazarus, come out, oops, too early, go back, go back. (laughs) I believe that if he had said, come out of there, everybody that had ever died in him, believing, would have risen. So he, he specified, Lazarus, come out of there. So he's going to come back and say, come on up. I don't know what he's going to shout. But I know that it's going to wake, wake all those who have died in Christ up. And it's going to uh, wake us up. And it says he'll descend himself with a shout. And the voice of the archangel and the, trump, uh, the trumpet call of God. And first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. And then together with them, if we're still alive, that we which are alive and remain on the earth will be caught up to get uh, caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air again. Back to Acts chapter one, in like manner as you have seen him go in the clouds, will be the same way that he comes back, realizing that he never steps foot on the earth at that particular moment. He will not till the end of that seven years of tribulation, and that's whenever he comes back and steps foot on the earth, and it ain't going to be good for those that are here. Amen? So, it says, So we will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in there, and then we will be with the Lord forever. So what? Encourage one another with these words. Again, when you look at the context of who he was writing to, what they were concerned about, how is this going to happen? How is it going to take place? What about those who have already died? 
They didn't realize their context was so small, they didn't realize that there would be centuries in between that time and now. And that people have been dying in the Lord ever since then. And they go to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, Paul says. So, here's the deal. That's going to happen. That's the way it's going to happen. He's coming back in the clouds. Gosh, I hope I'm, I hope I'm making sense. This, there was just so much rolling around in my brain this week. So, uh, let's see. Leave it right there. There's an important thing here. And it is right up to, it says, Together with them, we who are alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds. Now that word caught up is in the original language, herpazo. Doesn't mean anything to you. Doesn't mean a lot to me other than the definition of that. And that is something... That same word is used in John chapter 10 whenever it says, and John the Baptist came preaching the kingdom of God and to repent for the kingdom was at hand. And it says, since that time, violent men take it by force. Same word. There's another scripture whenever he talks about uh, that, that he brings eternal life to us. And that, God, he, that we are therefore sealed and put in God's hand. And no one can pluck us out of his hand. Same word. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little definition. I'm going to ask my wife to come here. A crisp $20 bill. I'm going to show you what getting caught up looks like. This is also... Matthew's gospel where it says, no man can pluck you out of my hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was it right there. She's had enough. Oh, I dropped a piece of paper. All right, so, what I'm telling you, <laughs> I knew she'd keep it. That's the reason I held on to it for a minute. That's what he's talking about. It's not just a gentle taking your time about it. It's going to happen that quick that he is going to come back in the clouds and we are going to be, the, the actual word is plucked or snatched. That's the literal definition of that word, to pluck or snatch. In other words, it's not a movement that anybody's going to be able to see happening. It's going to be all of a sudden like she did when she had enough. God's going to get enough of what's happening in this world and he is going to pluck us out of here. Now the word rapture was a word that got affixed to it later on. And I don't even like that word because it, it, rapture kind of has a, a, an emotional context to it. I was, I was raptured with what took place. Uh, it, it's, it's a snatching. It's a plucking. It's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. It is going to happen so quick that all of a sudden people are going to... I think that's the catalyst, the springboard in which the Antichrist will take power. Because there's going to be so many people that are missing all of a sudden. Now, if you're on a plane and the pilot and the co-pilot are up there doing a Bible study in the cockpit and they are both believers, you are in trouble. Just like we were, I was talking with somebody earlier and they said, so it's going to be just like the movies portray. Yes, kind of like it. I mean, it's just going to be somebody's going to turn around and they were talking to somebody that's not there anymore. It's going to be a, a pilot of a plane, and he's not going to be in the cockpit anymore. It's going to be somebody driving their car, and they are gone. It's going to be somebody working out in the field, and they're gone. And it is almost totally signless. 
there are significant things that we can see that, that tell us it's coming. Again, back to, he says, whenever you see the fig tree blooming, you know summer's close. Whenever you see a bunch of buzzards in the tree, you know the carcass is nearby. He's telling us, I don't even know the hour and the day myself, only the angels in heaven. So here's the thing that I think. I think if God the Father told Jesus when he was coming back, I think he loves us so much he would tell us. So the only person that knows when this is going to take place is God the Father. Now there are some things that we look at and, and we can know. A couple of things that I'm going to touch on and uh, it's probably getting time to close to land the plane. But there's one thing that I want to share with you. Take it back too. Two things that I want to share with you. Romans chapter 11. Let me get to it here. And no, I don't have it on the screen. I had to, I had to limit how much we were going to put on the screen because this is just, it gets too much. Uh, in Romans chapter 11, it talks about Israel and how God's going to keep his promise to Israel. God's made a lot of promises to the nation and the people of Israel. He's going to keep those promises. But Paul says this, it's 11.25, Romans 11.25, if you're taking notes and we're looking at it. He says, I want you to understand this mystery. Dear brothers and sisters, so that you, will, that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Talking about us as the Gentiles who have gotten in because Israel's heart was hardened. And it says, I don't want you to feel proud about yourselves. Uh, some of the people of Israel have hard hearts. In other words, they wouldn't believe. They still don't believe. They're still counting up. If you look at their religious calendar, they're still, they've been counting for, I think their, their count is like 5,000 and something as far as a year. And, okay, so now we got it on the screen. And uh, he said, I don't want you to feel proud. People of Israel have hard hearts. But this will only last until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so, and, and we go to verse 26 there. And so all of Israel will be saved. And these scriptures say the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem and he will turn Israel away from their ungodliness. The, the nation of Israel is dealing with God and in, in, in how he's dealing with them. Okay, they're going to come around, but go back to verse 25. This is something that just jumped out at me. It was one of those things as I was studying this out. It was like, this is awesome. Okay, it says, uh, some, some people of Israel have hard hearts. Uh, other translations say God has hardened their hearts, but this will only last until the full number of Gentiles comes in. That word full number, or in other translations it says the fullness of the Gentiles coming in, is that word just jumped out at me for some reason, so I did a word study on it. It is a nautical term, and it is also a legal term. And it represents the full number of people that had to be on a ship in order for it to legally sail. The number of sailors, the number of oarsmen, and the number of soldiers that it took to legally sail a big sailing ship back in those days. Fullness is what that word is. So in other words, God's waiting until a number of people, the Gentiles, come in. Now realize that he says that everyone who's written in the Lamb's Book of Life was written down before the foundation of the world. Before he ever said, let it be light and earth and animals 
and all those things, before he ever said the first let there be, he had the number that he's looking for. Because he knew who would receive him. He also knew who would not. That does not mean that he programmed it that way. Peter tells us, he said, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So here's the deal. God already knows how many people would receive him, and he knows that number, and he alone. And when that number is reached, guess what? Bada-boom, bada-bing, it's going to happen. That's why it's so important for us to get out and tell people. Because we never know when that one person, that, that person that we're about to reach, might, might reach that number. That's why it is a signless and kind of nebulous in many, many ways about when that's going to happen because people have free will from the standpoint of being able to say, yes, I want to receive that or I want to reject that. And we see all the way through that people would come to that point. Now, he already knows. He already had that number before the foundation of the world. But here's the thing. He knows the number that's going to happen. And whenever it does... It's going to happen. Amen? One thing, and then I'll close. I told you it was two. That was one of them. Hebrews chapter 28. And this, this should give us all um, just, I'm not even going to read it. It says that Christ died once and for all, for our sins. And that if we know him, he's given us eternal life. And that he will appear again. I will read this one, one little part here. And it says, He will appear a second time without reference to our sin. In other words, He's coming. And if we have already believed in Him, if we have already accepted Him, if we have already said, I want you to be the Lord of my life, would you forgive my sins? Would you come into my heart and live forever? When he comes again, it says he will come that second time without reference to our sin. Some people have said that Christians will stand before a judgment throne. No, that's at the end of the seven years when he raises the quick and the dead and they stand before that great white throne judgment. When he comes in the air, if we have believed in him, we have already been judged because we judged ourselves. And it says he will come again that second time without reference to our sin. Thank God. My sins are done.